I'm Jared, and I'm excited to talk with you. Hey, thank you for making the choice to be here. You know, I, you have a lot of other things you could be doing, and you chose this. And speaking of choice, that's what I want to talk with you about today. You know, we've had a wild start to this new year. So what does the rest of the year hold? You know, last week in our series, No Time Like the Future, Anne talked about transitions in an uncertain and unstable time. Today, I want to talk about choosing your future. But first, a story. Hey, last week I got some new glasses. I know, thank you for noticing, they look an awful lot like my previous pair, I know. But you know, every year my, uh, my eye doctor lets me know that we should take a look at your uh, eyes and see if you need a new prescription. And no surprise, every year I need new lenses. I need to improve my view every year. You know, Jesus talked about eyes. So let's read in Matthew chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Hey, try this experience right now. Try this. Squeeze your eyes shut. No peeking, squeeze them shut. What do you see? <laughs> Nothing, it's dark. Now open your eyes just a little bit. Just squint through them. And what do you see? Well, it's blurry, isn't it? Limited peripheral vision? Hey, don't drive that way. Why? You'll crash. You know, Jesus essentially says, don't live with bad eyes. You'll crash in life. Jesus says, hey, have healthy eyes, or you will not see anything clearly. In fact, you may just stumble around in life. So why do we have bad eyes? Why do we see the future so dimly and differently? You know, when Ann and I provide pre-marriage counseling, we often use a survey tool called Symbus. It helps a couple get insight into each other's values, expectations, view of the future. And it's so fun to watch the couple discover each other. We are different. Why do we have such different views of the future? Well, I think we wear different lenses and different frames. Where are you in the following lenses. You know, first there's the personality lens. For example, you might be an optimist or a pessimist. In fact, we have a very good friend who tells us you optimists are very lucky because there's a realist in the group. Maybe you feel that way. Or maybe you're uh, interested in the Enneagram. I'm, I'm mostly a one. I'm some other stuff too. But you know, for ones, details are important to me. I can be overly critical and judgmental. If I say I'll do it, I will do it. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I can be a better person. Forgiveness is hard for me. Now, hey, think just a minute. You might be just the opposite of that. 
And which is better or worse or right or wrong? That's not the point, is it? We just have a different personality lens. Well, hey, I'm going to get into trouble here, but how about the political lens? We probably all have them. Liberal or conservative? You know, the difference between the two can be understood at the level of one's most fundamental assumption regarding the nature of human morality. So some say that, for example, liberals view the world through a lens that assumes human morality is highly malleable and varies greatly across society. So you might hear, education is very important. Some say that conservatives' view of the world view the world through a lens that assumes human morality is, is fixed. Well, it's flawed, but mostly good and pretty much unvarying across society. So, defending institutions like the free market, the Constitution, the rule of law that are designed to limit concentrations of power is very important. <laughs> For example, I heard a guy interviewed this week. He's from Ohio, uh, Idaho, and he said, we just want the government to leave us alone. <laughs> Education's very important. Just leave us alone. Hey, we have different political lenses. How about third, a cultural lens? You know, culture is a set of norms, behaviors, attitudes, beliefs, values, customs, language, and institutions of a particular group of people. So people believe the way they think and act is natural or normal. So in situations of cultural differences, uh, we're often quick to judge, to blame, to label the, the other. For example, my cultural background valued generosity and hard work, good culture. My cultural background also told me that interracial marriage is sinful, bad culture. We all need cultural lens adjustments. And hey, when culture and religion get intertwined, we end up confusing essential beliefs with cultural preferences and artifacts. And Paul called that another gospel in his letter to the Galatian Christians. By the way, we're going to read from that in just a few minutes. So, there are different lenses. There's personality, political, cultural, and well, how about theological lens? I, I don't even know which trail to chase on this one. For example, just one. How about when Jesus will return? Now, some believe that we should work to build God's kingdom on earth, and then Jesus will return. Others say, just let the world fall apart, so Jesus will return. And others say, you know, why don't you just spend time loving God and loving people, and Jesus will return when he is supposed to. <laughs> you know, we see things so differently for lots of reasons. What future do you see? You know, I got a new lens in some new frames so I could see more clearly. Let me ask you, what lens do you see through for personality, political, cultural, and theological? And a second question I want you to reflect on, how do you frame the future? Would you take a moment 
to reflect on those questions? A framing story gives people direction, values, and vision by providing a framework for their lives. A framing story tells people who they are, where they are from, where they are now, what's going on, where things are going, and what they should do. You know, these three pairs of glasses that I have here today are all glasses that I have worn either now or in the past. And they can kind of give us an illustration of three different ways to frame the story. As a matter of fact, if I switch these frames and these lens out, I end up having a very different view of what I can see right now because they are different lens and they are different frames. The Apostle Paul is going to write to his friends and he's going to talk about how to frame their story. And I think as we read, you'll recognize some of your friends in these descriptions. And, and if you're anything like me, you'll probably find yourself in all three of these frames. And we're about to read these frames among Christians 2,000 years ago. Let me mention the three frames first. Here's number one. If our framing story tells us that the purpose of life is for individuals or nations to accumulate abundance of possessions and to experience the, the maximum amount of pleasure during the maximum number of minutes in our short lives, <laughs> then we'll have very little reason to manage our consumption. Eat, drink, and be merry. Life is short and then you die is the theme of that frame. Second frame. If our framing story tells us that we are in a life and death competition with each other, then, then we'll have very little reason to seek reconciliation and collaboration and nonviolent resolutions to our conflicts. Dog eat dog, winner takes all world is the mantra. We're a third frame. We can choose a framing story that tells us that we are free and responsible humans in a creation made by a good, wise, loving God who wants us to pursue virtue, collaboration, peace, and care for each other. We can believe that our lives can have profound meaning if we align ourselves with God's wisdom, character, and dreams for us. As Christians, we have the opportunity to live the story that was given to us at the very beginning, that creation is good even very good, and that it is our assignment to nurture and grow such goodness wherever we can. God is good, we are good, let's act good, is the mantra for the third frame. Well, 
Can you believe that once upon a time, a group of churches struggled between these three framing stories? Uh, They lived in a region called Galatia in the first century. The Apostle Paul writes to them and addresses their division into these three camps. So let's read Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you may be destroyed by each other. Now, Paul already in earlier uh, verses addressed the frame number one camp, the eat, drink, and be merry, life is short, and then you die. And in the verses that we just read, he addresses the dog-eat-dog, winner-takes-all world camp. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And he continues by describing these two competing paths that we all face. This is what he says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, I warn you, just as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The letter Paul writes addresses all three camps. There's there's the eat, drink, and be merry, life is short, and then you die camp. There's the dog-eat-dog, winner-takes-all world. And there's God is good, we are good, let's act good. Now, to help these Christians see these competing frames, Paul talks about the conflict that we all battle internally and and also the possibility of victory in the Spirit. He says, basically, listen, you can live as you wish, but if you want to experience God's kingdom life, you have the power of the Spirit to choose the character of Jesus. So in order to clarify what he means, Paul provides a a partial list of behaviors that just pop out from the sinful nature. 
And that long list of 15 or so representative behaviors, it, it can be divided into four categories. First, harmful sexual practices. Second, bad religion. Third, antisocial behavior. And fourth, personal lapses. And then on the other hand, he says, the Holy Spirit's transforming power produces a delicious fruit salad that covers three relationships with God, with others, and with ourselves. So in short, the acts of the sinful nature are essentially self-centered, gratifying a person's physical and emotional desires. <laughs> like for me, I want that chocolate chip cookie and I want it right now. These acts, they're, they're destructive of relationships and community life. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is a list of actions that improve relationships and promote community life. Fruit represents the outward, visible behavior. Would you take just a minute to reflect on these questions? Love. Am I motivated by love for people? Joy. Do I exhibit an unshakable joy regardless of circumstances? Peace. Do people see my inward peace and take courage? Patience. Do I wait patiently for results? Kindness. Am I caring and understanding toward everyone I meet? Goodness. Do I want the best for others and my communities? Faithfulness. Have I kept my commitments? Gentleness. Is my strength under control? Self-control. Am I disciplined to make progress toward my goals? Would you take a moment to reflect? I often end my day, uh, my daily time with God, reading my edited version of Max Licato's thoughts. Maybe you'd like to do the same. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Jesus, I am free to choose. And so I choose. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today, I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, that tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. 
I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive. I choose patience. I will overlook my inconveniences. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I'll invite them to do so. Rather than complain about the wait being too long, I will thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone. Kind to the rich, for they are afraid. And kind to the unkind, for that is how God treats me. I choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not be there. I choose gentleness. Nothing is worn, won by force. If I raise my voice, it will be to praise. If I clench my fist, it will be in prayer. If I make a demand, it will be only of myself. I choose self-control. I am a spiritual being. After my body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose to control myself. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek His grace. You can choose the lens you wear, the frame of life through which you see your future. You can choose this part of your future by choosing to live into the character of Jesus Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can choose. By the way, if you would enjoy your own copy of that, so that you can join me sometimes in your own devotional time with God, reading through that and putting on your fresh set of lens through which to see the day, just email us here at Evergreen. You might want to email Lori at ecc4.org or any of the pastors. We'll get that to you. Would you join me in praying? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling our lives. And Jesus, we invite the fresh fullness of your spirit today because we want to be men and women and students and kids who follow you, Jesus, in your likeness through the power of your spirit. We want to be filled with your love and joy and peace. We want to express patience and kindness and goodness to others. We want to be faithful and we want to be good and we want to be self-controlled. We desire to do that patiently. We also find ourselves, like Paul did, so often torn aside in wanting to give in to those, well, those lesser, those lesser passions. 
Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us the lens and the good sense to choose following you? And may this week be filled with your fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.